Today, it's Jesus Loves Me. A few more years, he'll be the next worship leader. Thank you, John. Well, well done. We appreciate that. What a blessing. And I'm sure there's at least one person in particular that loved that song, Mr. Floyd Rank. <clears throat> Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning to see everybody and uh, just to worship with you and have fellowship with you. And this morning, we, um, we begin a new, brand new book of the Bible. We begin another journey. And God has taken us to different books throughout the years. And each book has a unique testimony, a unique message, and a specific way that God likes to use the scriptures that he has revealed to us. And we take books and we dive deep and we will take the book of 2 Corinthians and we'll glean what we can that God has for us as the body of Christ. And this morning, I want to kind of look at it from two different perspectives. It's all an introduction. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I want to look at it from the personal side. I don't usually talk as much about from the personal side or where I'm coming from with books, but I want to share that with you for your edification this morning. And then we'll look at the biblical side when we'll actually consider the greetings that Paul gives to this church of Corinth. And I won't comment on it yet, but I do at least want to read God's word so we have an idea of where we're headed and we can get a, a pulse on Paul's tone in this book. So the book of 2 Corinthians, in the very first chapter, I'm just going to read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at this book first from a personal side, from my perspective, and Start out by just answering the question, you know, why this book? Have you ever wondered why we choose or I choose the particular books that we do, the Bible to study, to spend and invest so much time in these books? It's a fair question. Why this book? And who gets to choose in the church what book of the Bible that we go to next? Well, that great privilege has been uh, granted me by the leadership of this church and you know, they, they keep an eye on that, on things, a tab on things. And I try to let them know where I'm thinking about going and, and what I think God has to say in certain things. And, and as long as I stay to God's word and don't start preaching uh, fluffy messages based on you know, popular opinion, as long as I stick in here, they've given me a lot of freedom that I really appreciate for me just to seek God and, and pick a book that I think that God would have us to learn. So I'm very grateful for that. So that, that falls on me with their prayer and their support. So then the next question would be, then how do I choose books of the Bible? I choose, I make decisions just like you do. Any decision that you have to make in life, you just seek God. You just go to God. You pray to God. You ask for that which you don't have. And so when I'm thinking about a book of the Bible, I try to... to 
um, primarily go to God, but also discern the times a little bit. What is happening in our culture that we need to address? And what book of the Bible might do that? What's happening in our church family? Where is God taking us? We're, we're all corporately like one child that the Lord is growing and maturing because that's his will for us that we would grow. So what I say, God, what book will do that for us where we are? Where are our strengths that need to be encouraged? What are our weaknesses as New Covenant Fellowship? So I just seek God in that way and trust that he is leading me. He says in his word that he appoints particular people to serve specific needs in his body. And one of them is preaching. So I just trust that he's going to do that for me. And all of God's word is powerful. It all transforms. So there's a sense in which you can't go, but so wrong, right? Because you're going to hear God's word one way or the other. And honestly, sometimes I have very, very strong direction. And other times I just step out with the with the revelation or with the inspiration that God has given me. I just happen to lean the, the needle leans a little bit closer to this than anything else. So I say, OK, God, this is what we're going for here. And you, if you've gone to this church for any length of time, you will know that the way that we preach through books is, is, is expositionally. And we preach through them word by word, or chapter by chapter, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. And so we like to look at the whole counsel of God. And this prevents us from just reaching into the Bible and picking the happy verses or our favorite verses or even just culturally relevant verses. It, it enables us to get the big picture because, after all, we're here to hear God's voice. And the way we do that is hearing everything he spoke. And so he speaks it word by word. And so we look at it verse by verse and word by word. And this is what has been done for centuries. And even back in the days of the Old Testament, after God chastised his people, the church in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints, with 70 years of captivity in Babylon, he brings them back, just as he said, into the promised land. And they're trying to get a new start and a new grip on God and do things right. And his man, the scribe Ezra, stands up before all the people. And what does he do? He takes God's word. He reads it and then he explains it. And then he reads it and then he explains it. And that's expository preaching. And that's what we do. I was looking at... I, uh, it's been a long time since I've kind of taken an inventory. So as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, God, where have you led us through the years? I've been a pastor uh, for 16 complete years. And so this is the 17th year of ministry. So here are the places and the books and the themes that we have done. Most of the time we do expository, but uh, there, there are times we do topical studies. So it's not exclusively. There's lots of room here and freedoms. 2004 and 5, yes, it takes sometimes a couple years to get through a book. Um, so in 2004 and 2005, the Lord led us to the book of Hebrews. Some of you might have to think, whoa, I, I was here and I don't remember a single sermon back in then. But we did the book of Hebrews and God taught us about 
the preeminence of Christ, the excellence of Christ. He is better than Moses. He's better than all the Old Testament ceremonies. He's better than angels. It's Jesus Christ. And that was the first book that God began to build that foundation for us. And then in 2006 and seven, took us through the book of Ephesians so that we could understand the body of Christ. What does God think about it? What are we supposed to be doing? How do we interact? What does a church service look like? How do we know that we're really on the mark? And Ephesians is all about the glories of the church and God's plan for that. Then we looked at uh, the parables of Jesus and spent a couple years, 2007 and eight, you know, parts of these years. And we looked at the parables, this plain, simple teaching on wise kingdom living. This is how the kingdom works. And this is how people in the kingdom of God, my children, will think and look at life and make decisions. Then we went to the book of Acts in uh, about the year 2009. The book of Acts, it follows the Gospels where the Great Commission is given and Jesus comes and says the kingdom is at hand. And then you get to see in the book of Acts the kingdom at work. And Jesus was right. He did leave his spirit and it just explodes and people are getting saved and the gifts of the spirit are given to the church. And eventually it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And that's why we have the book of Corinthians, because Paul followed the Great Commission and he went. So it's really the Holy Spirit in action. God taught us that out of the book of Acts. Then we went from Acts all the way back to the very first book, which is Genesis. So back to the beginnings. The beginnings. This is how everything started. God has something to say about the very origins. How all of what we know of as life came into existence. And not just the creation, but also humanity and how we are to live. Why is it made this way? Why are we made this way? Why do certain nations worship in certain ways and behave in certain ways? And what is God doing? And it laid the foundation for the plan of redemption because God made promises all the way back in the first couple chapters of the very beginnings. And it's still unfolding before our very eyes this morning. So God took us back there. And then we did other theme studies. We, In order to know... Uh, the right God, to worship the right God in the right way, we studied the Ten Commandments. We studied the Ten Commandments. And that was back in about 2012. And then in 2013, we looked at the book of Colossians to learn about the divinity of Christ. 2014, we went back to the Old Testament and we looked at the judges. Good old Samson and Ehud and, and Gideon. And we learned about the cycle of sin. And then the sin causes the suffering. And then what do we do in our suffering? God, help me. I don't like this. I'm in a terrible position. This hurts too bad. Save me, save me. And God delivers. And they're blessed. And then sin, the suffering and deliverance. And we learned all about the redemption of God in the book of Judges about 2014. And in 2015 and 16, very busy years, we looked at the book of Ezra as the captivity people come back into the land of promise. We looked at the book of Nehemiah. And how do you, how do you start from scratch? How do you start from ruins 
where the people forsook God. They were chastised for it. But then his, the loving God brought them right back. And how do you start that? And they rebuild. They start a life of worship. They get rid of sin. They bring in godliness. They bring in the word of God as preeminent. And so we looked at Ezra, Nehemiah, and then we also on communion studies began to look at the book of Proverbs. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be moral? How would God have us to live? And that we also did a study on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And you were challenged to discover your own gift, which I trust you discovered, and you were challenged to put it to use. In this church family. Then that brings us to 2017. Through 2019. Where we went into the gospel of Matthew. My book. My Bible still wants to open to the gospel of Matthew. I had to force it to 2 Corinthians this morning. Just naturally opens it there. We looked at the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That little baby in the manger is the king of the universe and he deserves our worship. And he came and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And he began to to model it and teach about it and literally bring it into a reality. And then he left and we closed the gospel of Matthew with the great commission. And and really all of the gospel and Jesus's ministry was building up to this moment because in the great commission, we hear the heart of God. And the big plan of God and what he is doing and what he expects of us. And we want to love what God wants. And we want to have a heart for the nations. We want to have a heart to grow and to be the disciple that is described in Holy Scripture. Because that's what the people of God do. And God captivated me with that great commission passage. That's one of the reasons that we did a mini-series uh, mini on it. The Great Commission. So you see where God has taken us over the years to New Testament, Old Testament and so forth, just to get a a big view and a grasp of things. But why this particular book? Just kind of want to share with you. And I don't usually do this and get all personal and let you into my business. Um, But it's kind of a neat testimony about how God was working, I think. Yeah, as I saw Matthew coming to an end, my my wheels are turning. Okay, God, what's the next book? I like to be prepared in advance because you can't just jump into a book. You gotta you gotta get the background and so forth. And so I had settled on First Corinthians for about seven months. I just was confident that First Corinthians was where God would have us. There were some doctrines in there that I thought would edify us. Were some there were also some flaws in the people there that I thought God would use. And so I was set on that. Then, as it came time, okay, it's time for me to get my head into 1 Corinthians, so I'll be prepared. I started reading it, and I just didn't like it that much. I, I just, I was just like, oh, Paul's talking about himself in here, and and I don't really see that that's where we are as a church. And and so I'm like, oh, no. It's just not, I don't understand why I thought all this time that was it. Because when I read it seven months ago, yeah, that was it. And um, so I, then I start getting kind of antsy because, you know, we're nearing the end of Matthew. And, uh, okay, okay, Lord. And with prayer uh, added and fueled with panic and anxiety, <laughs> I am, okay, uh, I need to be prepared. Something's coming, God. 
And so I start just reading the, I knew it was going to be in the New Testament. I start reading the New Testament, Acts to Revelation, Acts to Revelation, not the Gospels because we just did that. So I'm reading, 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 and I have all my feelers out and I'm praying and praying. And I thought, God, I just want something that speaks directly to the church. Just something that's so plain and obvious that we can't even wiggle out of it if we tried. And it came to the book of Revelation. And in the first, um, was it uh, five or six chapters, first six chapters, I think, he speaks directly to churches by name and says, here's what you're doing right, if anything, and here's what you're doing wrong, if anything. And I thought, that's what I want. I want you just to speak to us that clearly. So I, I started studying in that, and I, I just didn't have a piece about it. So back to Acts to Revelation, Acts to Revelation. And I come to 2 Corinthians, and you know, you get that little, that little prodding, and I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't think so. And then uh, went back to it a couple times, because it gets to the point, you know, when you're trying to discern what God's doing in your life, He'll keep bringing you back to it, and our mind goes here and here keeps bringing us back to it. So he kept bringing me back to this and I read it and I thought, well, there's some pretty powerful sermons in here. Now, you got to realize by this time it's crunch time and I'm in the in the great commission. My head is in that and I'm really seeing that this is this great commission being brought back to the foundations of what is life all about? What's Christianity all about? What's God doing in this world? Well, it all hinges around the great commission. It's the big picture of things, and that's where my heart is and head is. And I think that's where God has us as a, as a body right now, is the idea of discipleship. It's the idea of a church without walls. It's not just in here. But we want to take the good news out there. And we want to prepare ourselves and, and think big like God does. And so I'm, I'm wanting something that will continue that. And I get to Second Corinthians, and there's some pretty good verses in here that I think actually very good verses that follow that theme and it gets me a little bit excited so let me share a few of these verses with you in second corinthians um it says in 415 for it is all for your sake in other words paul's saying look it has been really hard my life has been hard uh but it's it's worth it because it is this hardship of mine has enabled me to bring god to you and then he says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's the Great Commission. Remember, the ultimate mission is the glory of God. And so Paul is fueled. And hardships are, you know, not preferred. But if that's what it takes to, to bring the gospel to you, absolutely. I want you to be worshipers. But so you have the discipleship, but the ultimate mission of for what? For God's sake, for the glory of God. So I do this for your sake, but ultimately for God's sake. And that's what we were learning in Matthew. So that piqued my interest. Then Second Corinthians chapter five, fourteen through fifteen. He says, For the love of Christ controls us. This morning, just think about that. Does the love of Christ control you? What is controlling you? Your decisions? Your ambitions, your, your, your uh, habits, your desires, what are they controlled by? The Apostle Paul was controlled by Christ's love on him. That's what caused him to stay or go and to do everything he did. So that controls us because we have concluded this. Great, here's a bottom line in Scripture. They are rare, 
bottom lines in Scripture are rare. And here's one of them. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There you have, again, it's for the glory of God. The whole reason we've been saved is so we can die to self. That the Spirit would come alive in us. And then, to top it all off, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And this is actually, I'm choosing this as our theme verse to guide us through the entire book. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If that's not great commission, I don't know what is. God is reconciling the world. People in every direction, north, south, east and west, they are on his heart and he is bringing the good news through us. He's entrusted us with the good news. And Paul says we're ambassadors. If you're an ambassador representing a certain country, you have a lot of privileges. You can go a lot of places. You have a lot of clout. And he's saying, I am Christ's ambassador. I'm going to go wherever. Remember, all power and authority has been given me. So I send you. He's going to go wherever God calls him. It doesn't matter what it looks like with the human eye. He's going to take the gospel out and out and out. Because he has the gift of reconciliation the knowledge. Do you know if you're a disciple and you... And you look at God's word and you read it and you understand it. That you have the knowledge that reconciles sinners with a holy God. You have been given that. How will they hear, Paul says in Romans, without a preacher? Without somebody to tell them. If you're saved, you're saved because somebody told you God's word came to you in some form or fashion. And that's how it works. And that's what I think will drive us through this book. We will continue to be exposed and challenged by the mission of God. Ways, countless ways that we can bring glory to God. So that's kind of my verse uh, and theme for this book. We're going to see that in different places. Reconciling the world. Expanding our mind with that. So then, I'm looking at this book, and I'm kind of hooked now. I see how it lines up with the Great Commission. So I start to study it. And I, it's really frustrating. Um, because the book, I like neat and tidy. And Corky gets neat and tidy. John got neat and tidy. Where the apostle starts out with his letter. And you know where he's going? You know what he wants to say, and he carries that message the whole way. He just drives it home. He's going to drive justification by faith home in the book of, of Galatians and, and the themes of joy 
in, in Philippians and giving yourself to God. And I'm reading Corinthians and it's like he starts out saying this and then he just stops. And then he starts out saying something different. And then he just stops. And, then he, and I'm like, what? What do you do with that? There's, there's no, nothing holds it together other than what I've kind of imposed on it, reconciling the, the world. That's not really the theme of the book. It's my theme for the book. But so I'm frustrated. I'm thinking, how, how can I bring this to the people? How can I say what the message is when I'm not getting the main message here? So then I, you know, when you do Bible study, you always want to look at yourself, read it yourself as many times as you can, grasp what you can, and then you pull in the experts and you see what they have to say about it. So then I got to that point and I pulled in the experts and I came upon this quote from John MacArthur. Turns out everybody else that was trying to figure the book out had a hard time with it too. He says the the approach of the letter is not historical. It's not theological. It's not even ecclesiological. The approach is biographical. It just opens, the Apostle Paul, it just opens him up and we see what the inside of a devoted man of God looks like. But unlike so many of his other letters, it doesn't present systematic ordered arguments. It doesn't even present doctrine as such, although it alludes to it everywhere. But it gives us passion. It gives us the heart of a man and his experience with God personally. So that was relieving to know that I wasn't missing all the obvious topics and, and theme that themes that got that Paul had in this book because he didn't have any obvious ones in there. But what the what John MacArthur is saying is that what you get in this book is is you get to witness a man of God who is controlled by the love of Christ and who takes very seriously the words of God, the ideas of the gospel, that it saves. It's the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. And so he is just facing life with that truth. He takes it from that angle. And it sometimes it's great, sometimes it's horrendous. But you get to see him. And Paul honestly gets kind of sappy in this letter as he reveals himself. He's very careful not to offend uh, the, the Corinthians. They're, a lot of them are new believers. And he, he's very careful what he says and how he says it. He bends over backwards not to offend them and not to let them get the wrong impression of things. But in essence, you get... If you put a, a man of God that's really devoted under an x-ray machine, this is what you're going to see. And that's why his mind goes from one thing to the next. And John MacArthur continued to say, You will not be the same by looking at this book. It will transform your life, I promise you. But it will teach you not by precept and not by law and not by principle and not by reasoned argument. It will teach you by example. And then I read this and I'm like, okay. This epistle will mentor you. It will disciple you as you see Paul revealed. Of course, I have discipleship in my head. And there it is. This book will disciple us. And he's right. As I went, then, then it all made sense. When I go back, God you know, brought it through the hard way to me. And uh, but then it made sense. It's exactly what it does. We get to see the gospel in 
action. So that's why this book, that's the personal side of why this book, it's going to call us to discipleship. It's going to, it's going to continue to challenge all of our decisions. Is this for God's glory? Is this for God's glory? All the things that we do in our lives. Is my motive for the glory of God? Am I in God's mission or am I fulfilling my own little missions in life? Because this is what drives the Apostle Paul and this is what we will catch. And when we go through this book, it's going to do everything that I, that I hope it will do for me. And that is it's going to expand my mind and my love for others. To think about those that are unreached. To be challenged to love what God loves. To be challenged to think deeply about what does it mean that I'm an ambassador? And God is reconciling the world. This lost, broken, twisted, backwards world. God loves it. He's reconciling it and bringing it into truth. And bringing it into fellowship with himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this book throughout different places, it's going to bring us back to that and bring us back to that so we can live in it. So based on that, what can we expect with why this book? Well, we can expect to be challenged to be disciples and to make disciples. It's not going to go away for a while. To be disciples. We can expect to expand our outlook on the nations. I hope we find ourselves praying more for the lost. And that starts, of course, with our neighbors, with our community, and then just goes out from there. We can expect, I believe, as we're given these truths, to have more opportunities to minister. As we realize the tools that God has given us, and we put them to use, more opportunities to minister to one another, more opportunities to minister to our community, and a heart to minister to those out in the world, the next country over, if you will. And that's why I think I recommend as our theme, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Now, we'll be here for a while, so it would be really good if you would put that to memory. To start memorizing it so we get it down in our hearts. Christ, God reconciling the world through Christ. We'll have quite a bit of time to memorize that. Put, put that to memory, if you will. And then my hope, that's why this book and, and what to expect, what you can expect, I think, as we go through it. You know, my hope is that, that it will just pull us all together in one spirit and one mind. That we'll all, as New Covenant Fellowship, uh, just, just be flowing in what God wants us to flow. Just stepping out in faith, stepping out in obedience. Okay, Lord, if this is what you want, then and I'm going to do it. I'll make the changes I need to make. Then it will pull us together in that sense, in one mind, in one mission. So that's the personal side of this book. That's why we're going to crack it open, which we have done this morning. But I wanted to spend the remainder of my time looking at this, these first two verses and understanding, okay, so we're going to spend some time in this book who is Paul and who are these Corinthians and what kind of things she'll be looking for? So in Bible college, if you take hermeneutics or wherever you take hermeneutics, one of the phrases that you will hear is context is king. What that means is you have to under you can't just take one little verse out and 
and w- without understanding what it's surrounded with. So when something happens, when something is spoken, it happens in context. So for instance, if I say, I'm scared to death. Well, how, how you, what's the context behind that? Some people might say, get a doctor, get a doctor. And some others might say, ah, geez, that's just an expression. But how are you going to react based on the context? Well, if I'm grabbing my heart, I'm scared to death. You might think, he's the, he really serious. He thinks he's going to die. It would be taken in that context. But if I'm driving down the road and my car is bucking back and forth, and I say, I'm scared to death, it might be, I'm scared to death, I'm going to have to pay for a new transmission. Could be just an expression. Or maybe I watched a scary movie. So in other words, you can't just take that one phrase out. The way you really understand it was context. So that's what we're going to do with just the remainder of our time here this morning. All right, what's the context of Corinth? Paul visited them. The, The letter was written around 53, 54 A.D. Paul visited them on his one of his missionary journeys. As he takes the gospel out three different times, he comes back to his home base and then he goes out again and comes back. So one of his journeys, he plants this church in Corinth. What's Corinth like? Corinth is a very, very wicked, immoral place. It's a very densely populated city, about a half, a, about five. Uh, half a million, hundred million people, whatever that is. I'm, I'm not, my math is it's not a not a hundred million, but a half a hundred million. So 50, 50 million people. For some reason, a half a hundred million stuck in my head, and that's really awkward to try to work with. So anyway, there's a lot of people in this city, and the reason it's so popular is because for traveling purposes, it would save you about 250 miles from going around to come to Corinth, and they had like this land bridge that would from north to south. And so um, people would actually even take their boats and, and carry them on land to save them all this travel time. So there's people, there's Jews there, there's a lot of Greeks there, there's a lot of Romans there, there's a lot of Near Eastern people there. It's a very happening city. And uh, it's, it's a wicked city because of the pagan influences. Um, so... Paul is ministering to this church. Now, talk a little bit more about that. How about Paul? Where is he coming from when he writes these words? Well, he's starting out talking about how much he's suffered. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the trials that I've faced in verses 8 and 9. He wants them to know that was great hardship is going on in his life. And it was hardship that... uh, enables him to continue to minister to them. So it starts out with an attitude of somebody who's just come out of a a really hard time. As a matter of fact, it was so bad, Paul thought he was going to die. And I know there's people in here who have been in seasons of life where literally they thought they were going to die. God's calling me home. And this is where Paul was, and we're going to look into that. He comes out saying, oh, it was beautiful. I don't know that I would come out of it saying that. We want to learn how can he how can he have that peppy attitude after all that has just happened to him. And there's, it actually it's a good reason. But he says I, I'd given up all hope. There I was at that, and God came to me, the God of all comfort, God of all compassion. 
So he wants them to know that, and we're, we're going to look at that in the first several verses. So he's writing out that. I want you also to know that Paul knew the Corinthians well. He actually stayed in touch with them. They wrote back and forth. We'll look at that at one of the next sermons. They wrote back and forth. As a matter of fact, there may have even been more than just two letters written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. So, if you only have First and Second Corinthians in your Bible, you may be missing some letters. Just doing that to pique your curiosity because we'll spend a little bit of time looking at that. But they literally wrote back and forth to each other. He stayed in touch. They knew each other. Timothy, they knew Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple. And he was to hand the baton to him. Um, to give you an idea of the heart of Paul, Corinth was a troublesome church. You know, two steps forward, three or four steps backward. And yet Paul hangs in there with them. You're just going to watch him love on them, be patient with them, gently correct them, but speak truth and love. You'll get that whole combination. And so there's times where he's almost like babying them in his words. And then there's other times where he gets a little firmer with them. And for good reason, the Corinth, I said it was a wicked city. Uh, It's where we kind of get our word fornication from. Because it was known for that. They had temples there. And they had priestesses that were prostitutes. About every sin that is poses the commandments of God was practiced there freely. In 1 Corinthians, they had trouble. Very sexually liberal. Gluttony was there. Lust was there. And some of it right in the church. That's what had, Paul had to deal with. So this was uh, known for... Immorality. Some have likened it to our modern day Hollywood. About every sin you can imagine you can find here. And Christ plants a church. And he says, I want to reconcile that through Christ, the God. So he is talking to the church at Corinth. So not only is Paul an apostle, which we talked about in Galatians this morning. Well, I won't be redundant, but means sent out one. He has this call in his life and... Yeah, he's being challenged. He's like, because he wasn't one of the original. So he's constantly having to defend himself. Oh, you're a Johnny come lately. You just wish you were a real thing. And you have evil motives and all this kind of stuff. So he has to defend his apostles, apostleship. But he's talking to the saints of God. In this wicked place, God said, you're mine. And you're mine. And you're mine. And so Paul is shepherding this church at Corinth. I'm excited to look at it. That's the, that's the context of Paul. That's just a very brief context of um, the church of Corinth and Paul's heart for it. So I'm excited for this book. I appreciate your prayers that God would bring us into one mind in this, that God would have us learn it and apply it as New Covenant Fellowship. And I just want to close with one more quote from John MacArthur. No matter how hard the work of a messenger of Christ might be, no matter how trying and troublesome the fellowship of the church might be, no matter how weak and sinful the people might be, no matter how much turmoil and distress comes and goes, we are called to be faithful and to give all we have in the service of Christ. That's what you're going to see in this letter from the heart. Remembering 
that our God and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us the richness of the promise that the work we do is His. The people we serve are His. The strength we need is His. And the glory belongs to Him. Amen. May God bless the preaching of this book of 2 Corinthians. I want to, um, since it's announcement time, right? I want to just kind of jump the gun here and say a few things while I'm up here rather than uh, splitting it, the, the time, make use of good time. Um, for announcements, I want to let you know that our website, the church website, has been revamped. It's been refreshed been revitalized by Jessica Moss, and she recently asked me, hey, do you mind if I work on the website and just kind of bring it up to date? And I said, absolutely, you can do that. Take that, all that young energy you got and go at it. You're a little more uh, technologically savvy. And Eileen Rank, we've been blessed. She's the one that brought it up, got it up and running, and she knows the code and all that kind of stuff and got to where it is. And so uh, Jessica took that and then just added some things and updated some things. So um, I encourage you to go to our website. There's a lot of good stuff on there. You'll see pictures, perhaps that you've never seen before, of some of the original folks when they were young. You'll get to see what they look like out there. Um, Another announcement is that today, or this Sunday, is the closest Sunday to um, our church's anniversary. Is there anybody in here that's 36 years old? Devin? Michelle. And Devin? Okay. So, Devin and Michelle are 36 years old. So, remember, whenever you see them, and as you see them gracefully age, be reminded that our church is gracefully aging. It was 1984. It was January 29, 1984. So, we are 36 years old. So, congratulations to yourselves for that awesome birthday. And then the last announcement I have is um, we are getting jumping back into our season of community groups. And our community groups take breaks over busy times like summer, the holidays, and so forth. But our community groups, I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that. You know, we learn from the book of Ephesians when we look at the church and we see, well, what does God have in mind for the saints? How are we supposed to do life? We know we're not supposed to do it like the pagans we used to be. So how do you do life as a Christian? And one of the things that's on God's heart is that we are a light to the world by our Christian community. And that means we have to make changes in how we relate to one another, how we spend our time. So there's such a thing as creating biblical community. We're we're open, we're honest with each other, we're repentant on each other, we're uh, repentant to each other, we're interdependent on each other and the gifts that God has given. It's not meant for us to do the Christian life alone. So it's a matter of obedience as believers to, to obey Scripture in that way. Now the way that we do that right now as a church is community groups. So it's... There are, there, there's ministry between Christians that just can't happen on a Sunday morning. Now, we, there's a, we're very intentional with our time on Sunday mornings. 
But there's ministry and sharing and fellowshipping. You just can't do it. Everything in one service. So the way that we're obeying the call of Christ is through our community groups. And we have had these community groups in place now. They've been off and on throughout the years, but the ones right now and the leaders uh, for eight years. Now, it's been going it's on eight years. And we just want to uh, invite you. These We have four groups. I think Michelle put in the bulletin the leaders and the places and the times that they meet. And I'm not sure if the contact information is in there. Or, yes, it is. Contact. So everything is in there. I want to just challenge you to, to get with the Lord and think about, is now the time for me to join one of these groups? I know that not everybody's able to join. I get that. This is not a guilt trip. It's an encouragement. Think about, what is my place? How am I obeying the Lord in Christian community? And is this a time? We would love for you to join one of these groups and get connected in that way. Uh, we have visitors here. We have people that we haven't seen for a while. If you're curious, make a phone call. Ask one of the group leaders, you know, what's it like? I know this for a fact. Every group eats. You will get a meal. As I asked the group leaders, they all get together and they eat. Of course, they pray. They do Bible study. They, they encourage it. So Powerful things have happened in these community groups. Not every time. It's not dynamic every time. But there, there have been incredible moments of ministry. God-glorifying time. And we just are passionate about this. And we want as many people on board. If you can make it, please think about that and, and pray about that for your Lord. All the information is in the bulletin.